Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I'd love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at thoughtsfromapage. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be taking a break starting tomorrow, August 5th, through Friday, August 26th, when I will return with an interview with Chris Kander, author of A Gracious Neighbor. This is a great time to get caught up on any past episodes that you haven't had time to listen to yet. And if there's one that you particularly enjoy, please share it on social media. It really helps me find new listeners when that happens. So thank you in advance. In addition, if you're caught up on all of my episodes, I would love for you to join my Patreon group if you're looking for more fun book conversations. I have all sorts of bonus episodes there, plus a newsletter and a Facebook group. I'd love to have you. Today's behind-the-scenes episode is with Tess Day, Director of Publicity for Zibby Books. Tess is a publishing professional with over 10 years of experience in book publicity. She has worked for Penguin, Simon & Schuster, Sasquatch Books, and Mountaineers Books. Tess is passionate about connecting books to readers and promoting authors and their voices through a variety of platforms. A graduate of UNC Chapel Hill, she went on to complete the Denver Publishing Institute. Tess currently resides in North Carolina with her two sons. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading! Welcome, Tess. How are you today? I am doing wonderfully. How are you? I am wonderful as well, and I'm so glad you're here to join me for my behind-the-scenes series, and we're going to talk about your role as Director of Publicity at Zibby Books, and I can't wait to talk about both Zibby Books and what you're doing there. Oh, yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to talk about our new publishing house and a little bit about book publicity. I would love to talk a little bit about what our publishing house is, is about, if you'd like to hear that. I would love to hear more about Zibby Books, the decision to start it, and then what that's been like launching it, and then what the focus is. Perfect. Yes. So last year, so that would be 2021, Zibby Owens, who is our CEO, had been interviewing authors on her own podcast for about two years. 
And during that time, she was gleaning all this information from these authors about their publishing experiences and maybe what they weren't too thrilled about or what they'd like to happen differently. And she kept thinking, well, maybe someone will start a publishing house that will address these concerns these authors have. And then she realized one day, well, that person was her. So she uh, joined ranks with Lee Newman. And last fall, they announced Zibby Books, and it is a publishing home for fiction and memoir. And we will be publishing a book a month starting in February of 2023. That was one of my questions, how many books you were planning to acquire and how often they were going to come out. So one a month. One a month uh, for, well, even though February is when we're starting, the way kind of the book world works is that still will equal 12 books for a publishing year, if that makes sense. So we will be doing 12 books a year and with a very lovely balance between memoir and fiction. And I believe we have acquired one short story collection as well. How did you all decide to focus on fiction and memoir? And then who makes the choice about what books are acquired? Yeah, that's a great question. So fiction and memoir hold a special spot in her heart. And as a small publishing house, it's important that we kind of pick a lane, right? So we needed to pick a lane and fiction and memoir are our lane. And that certainly doesn't mean at some point we might not branch out of that lane, but for, for starting out, fiction and memoir is where we are feeling confident. And to answer your question about how we choose what which manuscripts and books you know are acquired, uh, we accept submissions from agents, but also just from uh, unagented manuscripts as well. So uh, you can send them to directly to Zibby or our uh, editorial. We have an editor who uh, her name is Emily Sharp, and I can also share this contact info later on in the podcast for any authors listening that are interested in submitting manuscripts. Um, if that would be helpful. And that's also on the website because I was checking out Zibby Books again before we spoke. And I saw that you have all of the authors that you have already contracted with on there, as well as what you're interested in purchasing, what you're not going to be purchasing. And then also a link to submit a book or ask questions if you're still interested after you've read through the website. Yes, exa- that's exactly correct. So this information is on our website. If you're interested in submitting a manuscript, it's there. But I Uh, You can also email me directly too. We're a very small team, (laughs) so we all speak to each other frequently. How did the team come together? The team came together in a myriad of different ways. Lee and Zibby knew each other, I think, just from running into each other in the book world, which is very small. And people have worked with Zibby and other platforms from her moms don't have time to read, her moms don't have time to website. And some of those people who worked on that side came over onto the Zibby Books uh, side as well. And some were just hired the old-fashioned way. I, I was hired the old-fashioned way. I saw a listing on Media Bistro, which is a great place if anyone is interested in book-related jobs. And I saw the job listing there. Oh, that's so interesting because one of my questions for you is going to be how you ended up at Zibby Books. But I first want to talk a little bit about your role as a publicist generally and how you got started and sort of your path to Zibby Books. Yes, absolutely. So without disclosing my age, when I graduated from college a while ago, I was an English major and loved books and loved reading and loved 
talking about books. And everyone assumed that I was going to go on and become a teacher. And I immediately knew that I was not patient enough to pursue that field. But that left me kind of coming up empty. And I was a senior in college. And my parents were like, well, uh, you know, you're not coming back here. So what are you going to do? <laughs> you're like, thanks a lot. Yes. Thank you so much. I worked throughout college. You know, I was a nanny and I worked at Bath and Body Works. And, you know, I had all these jobs, which are fine, but, you know, I needed something that would be a little bit more uh, in line with what I was studying in college. My love was books and my love was writing. And I got an email from my career services admin person from UNC where I went to school and it said, interested in book publishing. And I was like, oh, wow. I mean, I didn't even know. Between you and me, I had never to that point in my life given two thoughts about how a book came into the world. I, even though I read so many books for school and and throughout my whole life, I had never given any thought about how a book was created. It just appeared, right? And so that, a, a light bulb turned on. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about this as a business. And then the email talked about these certificate programs. There was, at the time, I think, I'm sure there are more now, but there was one um, at NYU and one at Denver University of Denver. They were publishing programs, and they were you know a summer long. And I thought, gosh, sure. And I had to apply, so I wrote my applications. Got rejected from NYU. <laughs> I got into the University of Denver publishing program, and it was about a seven week program right after I graduated. So I went straight to that and met some incredible industry professionals at University of Denver. It's interesting, Cindy, I wanted to tell you when the first day uh, they say, how many people in this room want to be book editors? And 99% (laughs) of the people in the room raise their hands. They all want to be editors. After seven weeks and all the workshops at the last day, they say, okay, we're going to do this poll again. How many people want to be book editors? And about 10% raise their hands. Really? It was that big a drop. Okay. That's hilarious. I did know that so many people start out wanting to be book editors. And I didn't know that before I launched the podcast and really even before this behind the scenes series. But as I've been talking to people who have other jobs in publishing, a lot of them say, I thought I wanted to be a book editor and then I got started and you know they ended up somewhere else. And so that's probably one of the few jobs people actually know is a job as well when you're starting out. You know what I mean? I think so. Because That is something that even though I hadn't really thought about the publishing of a book, I was certainly aware that books had editors. Right. And so I I think to your point that that is the one part of a book's journey that consumers are aware of. But that's amazing that it dropped from 90 to 10%. Why do you think that is? Well, I was one of the few people who didn't raise my hand at all. And so I wanted, I had no information. You know, I was like, I don't know what I want to do because I know nothing about any of these particular fields in book publishing. I think it's because people have this dream of an editor curling up with a book and, you know, doing little smiley faces next to paragraphs and, you know, oh, there's a typo there. And that, and then that's like this kind of romanticized image of what an editor does. And then after we workshopped some manuscripts 
quickly became apparent that an, what an editor does is is very intensive and challenging. Much greater than just writing smiley faces beside sentences. <laughs> but I mean, really, I think you're right. And people think, oh, I'll just read this book and I'll make some changes. But they do so much more. I just had absolutely no idea, again, about that until I started talking to people. And I'm like, whoa, that is a big job. Yeah, they are heroes. They are absolute heroes. And even though I am not an editor, I have worked very closely with many throughout my career. And I, they are just incredible human beings. Absolutely. So after you finished your seven-week seminar, what happened? So I had connected with a woman there who was at her name was Liz her, her name still is Liz Pearl and she was a director of publicity at Penguin and this was before Penguin had merged with Penguin Random House and I just found her so engaging and what she talked about was so interesting and I had never thought that there was this whole field where people help authors go on tour and have their books get reviewed and interviews set up and that sounded so exciting to me and so even though I was not living in New York at the time, I set up an informational interview with her and flew to New York. This was, of course, after the program ended and sat down with her. We were chatting and she goes, you know, uh, my colleague is about to promote his assistant. Would you be interested in the job? And I immediately said, yes. And she goes, okay, well, why don't we have you speak with him tomorrow? And of course, my flight left later that day. And I just called the airline and changed my flight and got the job. And that's how it started. And so then you have been at several publishing houses before you came to Zibi Books. That's correct? Yes, it is. I started at Penguin Books, again, before it was Penguin Random House. And I worked for the Berkeley imprint, um, which was an incredible experience, worked on uh, novels. I got to work uh, on some of Nora Roberts' books. And really was wonderful to work on fiction. And then I went over to Simon & Schuster and worked for the Atria imprint there and worked on, again, mostly fiction books, Jennifer Weiner. And then from there, I moved to Seattle and worked at a smaller house, Sasquatch Books, which was a big switch for me, not only because it was a much smaller house, but they only publish nonfiction So that was a big change as well. So how did all of that prepare you for your role at Zibi Books? Oh, I I would say that working at bigger houses and working at smaller houses, I can take what I've learned from both. And especially in this startup publishing house of Zibi Books, we don't have a pre-programmed way of doing things, which is wonderful. We're all coming to the table with our own expertise and our own background. And it's all the cooks in the kitchen are welcome. And we get to bring our knowledge from working at a bigger house, working at a smaller press, working on nonfiction, working on fiction, and have that be part of how we build our company from the ground up. Is that a little overwhelming at times to be starting from the ground up? Absolutely. And I have not worked at a startup before. And it's always been something that I have wanted to do. And I think that the saying, you know, building the aircraft while you're flying it is very accurate that you're like, okay, we're in air, but we are still building part of (laughs) part of this aircraft. 
But making adjustments as you go is really refreshing because when you're at an established publishing house or, or any company, right? I mean, it's very hard to change things that are already set in stone. And where he is here, we're starting out. And so we can pivot if we don't think something is maybe the right direction or see something that we hadn't anticipated needing to be done, we can, we can implement it. So there is a freedom at a startup that I have not experienced in other companies just because the systems were already in place. And that has to be so nice with your background because you were at three different publishing houses who are all focusing on different types of books. So you can pull what you really like from each one of them and the things you didn't like as well, you can jettison. Absolutely. And I want to say I also worked right before my my last job before I started at Zippy Books was at a small house in Seattle named Mountaineers Books. And what was amazing about that is that they are a nonprofit publisher. So Working with them in this nonprofit space was also an incredible experience. And I wanted to make sure to give them a shout out because they are an absolutely incredible publisher. I just got over COVID not long ago and I the brain fog is, is real. <laughs> it's amazing because I kept hearing about the brain fog and I actually haven't had COVID. Oh my God. My dad just had it and he was asymptomatic, which is wonderful because he's 81. So I wanted to make sure he was okay. And they still treated him with remdesivir because he was in the hospital already. But he's the fog was an actual thing for him. And it, at first, I was so alarmed because he has Alzheimer's. So he already oh, you know, yeah. has issues with his memory. But it went from like one point to about three points lower. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like this is terrible. But once he got out of the hospital and the COVID fog lifted and just being in the hospital, you know, all of that is so oh, stressful. Yeah. But he is doing so much better. But I just had no idea how bad it could be. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm so glad you have not had COVID. And I thought I had escaped, but nope, nope. My child brought it home <laughs> from camp and gave it to me. And, you know, I also thought brain fog was more like how you feel if you haven't slept well for a couple of days. It's a totally different entity. Anyway, I am still seeing some of the effects of that. So I wanted just to make sure to circle back and get Mountaineer's books the accolades that they deserve. So how does your role differ at Zibby Books than when you were acting as a publicist or working as a publicist at the prior publishing houses? That's a great question. And it definitely does feel different than those previous positions. And I think most notably is something that we are trying to do differently at Zibby Books is put the authors first. And not to say that other publishers do not do this. They absolutely do. But in a bigger house, sometimes it's harder to have that constant connection with your authors that you might want. And at a smaller house, you are able to be more involved with the day-to-day ins and outs of a book's birth with your author. So for example, as a publicist, traditionally, I would not come in to an author's life until about five months before pub date. And I have been in touch with all of our authors over a year out of some of their books, which is wonderful. And I've also been involved in cover cover concept meetings, editorial conversations. You're really part of every every aspect of this of this book's uh, pre publication journey. 
And that's got to be so helpful because if you're all involved with each book, then when some small change is made, nobody's left out. I can see when those larger houses sometimes where when there is a decision made or something changes, that it would be very easy to accidentally forget to let some portion of the larger team know. And instead, you're going to be there from the very beginning. You know what's happening. And that will probably help you so much when you're launching the book. Absolutely. And a book is so much more than just the content of its pages. And I think that that is what I've learned over my 10 plus years in this industry is that getting to know the author as early as you can has only been a good thing for me in promoting their books. Because even if the book is a novel and not a memoir, so much of that author and their personal journey is infused in that story and getting to know them and getting to know them as a human being and what type of media would be right for them and what a tour might look like for them. And just because we might have two authors that both publish a novel, my promotional plans are not going to be cookie cutter for, for both of them. I was just going to say that getting to know each author personally, you know their strengths, you know the things that they're going to be great at doing and helping promote the book, what kind of tour would work for them, whether you're going to want to integrate something else with the tour, their social media platforms, just all of it. Absolutely. And some authors are debut authors and they truly this is a, a first time experience for them and they don't they don't really know, like kind of like how I felt back in college, like what is book publishing? You know, what is, what does this journey look like? And really setting the table for them. But some are veteran authors have been doing this a long time. And it, obviously for all of our authors, it's their, their first time with Zippy Books, but they have, you know, gone on tour before and understand a little bit better how, how the book journey looks. Well, what does a typical workday look like for you? I guess this is kind of a double-edged sword. I am lucky enough to work from home, which some days is very challenging because I do have children. And while they are in school, that does still mean that they are underfoot sometimes. And so for all the working parents out there who work from home, <laughs> you all, I get it. You have my, my respect. So I do lots of Zoom meetings, as I'm sure many of us do in this COVID or post-COVID world. We have lots of internal meetings, especially as we are getting closer to our launch of early 2023. I meet with our authors and have conversations with them about how they're feeling about just their book about to be born. And of course, talking to them about promotional plans for their book. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of pitching to media, um, calling lots of bookstores. And of course, writing press material as well. How have you found the aspect of booking tours, reaching out to bookstores, reaching out to other contacts to be since Zibby Books is new? That's a great question. And I only have the highest praise for independent bookstores. They have just been through so much over the past couple of years. And I don't know about you, but a, going into a bookstore is still a magical experience for me, no matter how many times I have done it in my life. And they have been incredible. And they have been so excited about Zibby Books. And Zibby started at the end of 2021, our 22 and 22 program. People to visit 22 bookstores in 2022 
she is a huge advocate of bookstores as well. And so they have been thrilled to get to know us and are excited to be a home for our books starting next year. I love that 22 and 22. I'm a huge indie bookstore proponent. And that's like one of the first things I do when I go visit a new place is find the local indie bookstores and get in there. And I've been participating. In fact, I need to log my last like four visits. And I just think it's such a wonderful program. It is such an incredible program. And, you know, any encouragement to go visit a bookstore, I don't need any encouragement, but it's, it's, it's so great to have something like that out there. And also we have our book ambassador program, which is something unique unto Zibby Books. We have over 700 book ambassadors in the United States and they help spread the word about Zibby Books. They'll get, I think, early sneak peeks of some of our books. We really want to bridge that gap even more so between readers and authors and publishers because a book brings people together. Even though reading a book is such a solitary experience, it truly is meant to bring people together. And as a publicist, I firmly believe that. Well, I think the Book Ambassador is also a great program. I participate in that as well. But how else are you working toward growing that in terms of developing relationships with bloggers and bookstagrammers? Is it mainly through the Book Ambassador program? Well, certainly many of our ambassadors are bookstagrammers, and we're so lucky to have them as part of our book ambassador program. We have an incredible social media person on our Zippy Books team who is, we are working diligently on exploring social media as a publisher and connecting that way with readers. We also are going to do something really exciting with our books. We're going to have a QR code on our books to give readers an inside look into the author's life and behind the scenes of the making of the book, which I think will be a really great experience. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's really neat. So you just click on the QR code. It sends you to a website with all of this information. Correct. And I think what will, I'm not 100% sure of where the placement will be on the book, but a, a reader can just scan you know, the camera of their phone on the QR code and it will bring them to this enriching experience of, of the book and the author. And it will have many different features, maybe a Q&A with the author, maybe a tour of an author's town of where the book was set so people can see maybe what inspired a certain place in the book and stuff and other fun things like that. Book club questions, all sorts of things. Absolutely. We will have reader's guides and book club questions as well. The neat thing about a QR code like that is that you can continue to add to the site change things if you need to update. And so it's not static. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one thing we were considering is there will be people who will be browsing in a bookstore and will see the QR code and scan it. And so having an option of, I have read the book or I haven't read the book yet, and you can follow one of those two paths to maybe learn a little bit more about the author to have an even more informed choice before you buy the book. And then after you read the book, a post-reading experience on the QR code as well. I just love that. That is so creative because right now what I usually do when I'm browsing, if it's a book I'm not familiar with, is I'll go to Goodreads and I'll just look at the reviews. But I have just found that it's really hard to tell from just looking at people's reviews if I don't know them. You know, like I'm going to probably not necessarily line up with them. And so that's not the most helpful thing. But just learning more about the book from than just the blurb would be so helpful. Exactly. And we're trying to streamline that experience for book browsers 
where they can go to a place that can give them, again, more, more information than perhaps just a book cover copy would give them. I think more and more bookstores and others in the book world are starting to use QR codes in very clever ways. I know that one of the bookstores I'm affiliated with here in Houston has bookmarks and they put a QR code to my podcast in some of the books that they're selling that, you know, if I've interviewed the author, which is wonderful and is so helpful for me. And then I interviewed for my Patreon account, a bookstore in Kansas City, and she does that for every single book she sells. She creates a QR code and then she links to something like an author interview or a book, a song that the book mentions or a playlist or something. And I thought, how fun is that? Like this whole other experience tied in with the book. Yes, I think I think it just again gives another layer to that experience of reading a book. And I think one thing that has been difficult for the publishing industry is that a book, you know, think how long a book has been around, right? I mean, the covers and pages and words on pages. I mean, it's just this timeless, incredible experience. So having this very I don't want to use the word old-fashioned I, again, going back to timeless, a book, right? Paper, a cover, words but then having to integrate technology and keeping up with the with the times right and how we integrate the two how we keep this timeless entity that is a book and then bring in these layers of social media QR codes online sales all of those aspects that have obviously are in the grand scheme of things very very new it is it's a fascinating discussion and i think that is one of the very cool things about being in the position you are with zibby books is that you are starting over. I mean, or not starting over, you're just starting. So everything is new and you can do whatever you want. Absolutely. And, and you know, when, when you are trying to create a new experience um, in the publishing world, it's exciting. And thinking about what we all as voracious readers would like to see. I mean, that's where essentially what we're all coming from, the team members of Zippy Books, is what we as readers would like to see. And how are you handling the audiobooks? What is that process like for getting them recorded? Who's doing that? That is a great question. And I don't have all that information yet. And I, I am not 100% sure if each author will be reading their own book, etc. But that is to be decided. Well, it makes sense. There are so many different facets. And I'm sure you're just tackling them as quickly as you can based on what's coming up first. Absolutely. And Right now, uh, just making sure that our launch title, which I would love to share with you all, is set up for success. And it is a memoir. It's called My What If Year by Alicia Miranda. And we are so thrilled that we think that would be that will be a perfect title uh, to launch a new year. She quit her job at age 40 and decided that she was going to try out internships at places that she'd always dreamed of, like being a Zumba instructor or on Broadway in New York to have those experiences that she didn't have when she was younger. Okay. That sounds like so much fun. (laughs) I know. And she and Alicia is just incredible. And we have an amazing tour set up for her. And it is, you, you, that what if of like, what if, and it's not too late to explore perhaps some things that you might not have had a chance to do when you were younger. And we can live vicariously through her, her hilarious um, experiences. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. How did you decide on that being the launch book? We, there was a lot of, just, you know, we, have, we have so many incredible books coming out next year that, you know, trying to pick which one goes first is like, 
you know, it's just trying to pick a favorite child. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's impossible. I think timing on certain titles is very important, right? I think thinking about what books are maybe more suited for summer reads and uh, what books are maybe better for the fall kind of trade show heavy time. We just thought my what if year should absolutely be at the beginning of the year. And it's a hopeful but lighthearted message. And that's what I think we felt people need. Yeah, it sounds like a great one to launch with. Mm -hmm. So over your career, what has been the most surprising thing about working as a book publicist? That is a great question. And that every author I have ever worked with has been completely different. And I never have the same experience twice, which I think would surprise listeners that every author I work with is as unique as every book we read, right? So even though you might've read 10 literary thrillers or whatever, I mean, every book has been so unique. And so even though there is kind of a rote way of drafting promotional plans and executing them, you know, I've never had the same experience twice with any of my authors. I think that is a surprise to me because I agree with what you're saying in terms of you would have a checklist and say, okay, here are the 10 things I need to work through. So maybe this person's not going out on a tour. So I cross that one off, or maybe we're not dealing with social media because they don't really have social media, whatever the, you know, kind of tweaks are for each particular person. I still would think that over time, it would seem like a very similar process. So that's fascinating that it's not ever. No, it's really not. And even if an author goes on a five city tour and I've done a bunch of five city tours, it's it's just different. The The experience for the author is different. The feedback can be different from consumers, from reviewers. And just when I work with that author, you know, it's such, for them, it's, for a lot of them, you know, it's a perhaps a first book for them. And to me, it takes me into that, my, their excitement gets me so excited again. Launching a first book for me never gets old. It is so exciting. And I know that they have been working on this book for years and having this dream realized of seeing their book on shelves. It just really never gets old. It is, is such a special moment. And I'm very lucky to be a part of that journey with them. Well, and as you mentioned, five city book tours, even if every author is going on one, which of course they're not all doing that and some are five city and some are 15, it just really depends. Even if they all were doing five, there are going to be five different cities, five different stores. Every store is so different. I mean, that's the thing that early on surprised me so much, and it shouldn't have, is that every single indie bookstore is so unique in a great way. And so every experience is going to be different. Yes, absolutely. And I think with tours as well, I mean, just going with what you mentioned there, we really have had to rethink, especially post-COVID, of being strategic with events and People are not going out of their house as often as they used to. And, and you know, the, the biggest nightmare for an author, and of course, the author's publicist is sending them to an event where no one shows up. Absolutely. So being very mindful of that. And I think before, you know, saying you were sending an author on a five, eight city tour was like, sounded like this glamorous, exciting thing and showing, you know, everyone that you're putting time and money behind this book. And now, nowadays, you know, I don't know if it's always worth the time. I think there's other effective ways to promote an author that aren't necessarily going to a bookstore. 
Right. Especially if you don't think the author is going to have a lot of people showing up. I used to work at an indie bookstore here in Houston, Murder by the Book. And I love it. I mean, it's a wonderful store and I still go to events there and they're fabulous. But there would be authors come through that sometimes it would be the three people working there and one person and the author. And probably that is not effective money-wise, time-wise, anything. Even though they've sold additional books and the author's signing them, still, it's probably not worth all of that effort. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we found is having a conversation partner with an author can be a great way to just broaden your audience and also can be much more interesting for your viewers who come to the event. I mean, having two people in conversation sometimes is easier as a listening experience to one person being spoken being spoken at by one person for an hour. Absolutely. I agree with that completely. I think that was one of the silver linings of COVID was pairing authors or even just pairing them with an interviewer. It doesn't even have to be another author, but just somebody to have a conversation with that it just goes so much smoother 95% of the time than an author just standing up there and having to talk for 45 minutes. Exactly. And I think that that has been very helpful. And of course, having the events perhaps not in the bookstore itself and having the bookstore come in to another venue, like a restaurant, you know, so somewhere else where the bookstore can still get the sales, but perhaps it's a bigger space that might be uh, make more sense for whatever the book is, the author's, you know, contacts, all of that. That's true too. I hadn't really thought about that. I guess depending on the book as well, because some books really lend themselves well to that. Yeah, exactly. It's just some books, you know, if you have a incredible literary book, a bookstore makes a lot of sense. But if you have a nonfiction book or or perhaps let's say a memoir about someone who worked in the restaurant industry, perhaps having the book event at a restaurant makes sense. So just really thinking about what would capture the essence of the book and the author, it can be helpful. Absolutely. But my last question always is to ask what you've read recently and really liked. And that's one of my favorite things to hear. Absolutely. So I love to read a lot of fiction. So my recs are fiction books. I just read The Foundling by Anne Leary. It came out in hardcover in late May, I believe, and uh, takes place, oh gosh, I would say in the 1920s. And these two young women were at an orphanage together and they don't see each other for a long time, and then meet up at a very interesting institution years later. And it's it's a just an incredible story. It's fiction, but it does take some historical, a historical fiction route, which I really enjoy. You're the second person to recommend that book in a week. That is a sign because I'm like, okay, if I keep hearing the same book, it usually means it's one I need to read. I wasn't totally certain about it, but when the other person, and I'm trying to think of who it was, described it. I was like, okay, it sounds a little different than I thought it was based on, you know, you just read the quick blurb. Sometimes you're like, mm, I don't know, but it sounds like maybe it is one I need to pick up. It is. I mean, I felt like I actually learned something historically relevant in it. So it was like a nice, like the cadence of the story was wonderful and the character development was great. But I also felt like I learned something from history that I didn't know about. And I don't want to give too much away, but it was, it, it, I definitely recommend it if you like a nice balance of a mystery, but not being a thriller, right? Absolutely. And I, that's one of the reasons I love historical fiction is I love coming away with knowledge I didn't have 
but also a really wonderful story. Yeah. So that I definitely recommend that one. And but if if you'd like to pick up a book in paperback, I just also read Local Woman Missing by Mary Kubica. Uh, Local Woman Missing is a page turner. One woman is found murdered in a small town. And then not long after, maybe a few weeks later, a woman and her daughter go missing. And the ending literally had my like jaw hanging. And I read these types of books all the time. So I always feel like I will figure it out. But no, I was just, I started telling everyone about it. And I was like, you have to read this book. So if you want a paperback that is a page turner, local woman missing 10 out of 10. Okay, good. I've read a couple of her early books, but I haven't read her in a while. So I'm going to have to add that one to the list. Um, Same here. I hadn't read her in a while as well. And I believe I picked her book up in an airport while I was traveling. (laughs) And I just was like, oh, I need something. to." No, I don't. You know what? I was in the Dallas airport and I was like, huh, that looks good. And sure enough, it was better than I expected. So yeah, it was it was wonderful. That's always the best when you go in not knowing or not having high expectations and you love the book versus when I go in with really high expectations and it doesn't live up and I'm so disappointed. Oh gosh, yeah, that happens frequently and I think I think sometimes knowing nothing about a book. Yeah. I can't believe I'm saying this as a publicist, but not knowing <laughs> anything about the book isn't always a bad thing. <laughs> I do think that's right. I mean, it's like anything that's really hyped. Like if you catch it after so many people have hyped it, your expectations are so much higher than if you get in on the ground floor before everybody's talking about it. I I definitely agree with that, though I agree as a publicist, maybe that's not your best (laughs) shtick. Not knowing anything allows you to be pleasantly surprised. You know, if I had heard rave reviews about local woman missing, I would have picked it up perhaps sooner. And I think that's what good publicists do is just bring the correct readers to the correct books in a more timely manner, as opposed to hoping you'll just stumble across it in an airport bookstore. (laughs) Well, and you make a very good point about good publicists because I will get emails about books and they will analogize that book to other titles. And I'll be like, oh, well, I loved, you know, Local Women Missing, so I'm probably going to love this one. And then I go to read it and I'm like, I don't even begin to understand the connection, like why you would have put those two together. And so I do think you're right. Like if, if you get an email and, and people say, if you like so-and-so, you're going to like this, and they actually connect up, then you're making the connections with the right reader. Absolutely. And I think that it is important to do your homework. I would never, in a pitch, say one book is like another book if I hadn't read the other book. Right, right. You know, I think just making sure that you, you know, being well-read is, is certainly part of, part of this job. And I did want to say about a book that's gotten so much hype and then reading it kind of later, I, I'm sure you have heard The Vanishing Half Yes, by Britt Bennett. And I felt like I came to that book later. Sometimes when a book gets so much attention, I almost get not nervous to read it, but I think, oh gosh, you know, what if I don't love it as much? But absolutely not true. This book was incredible. Even though I came to it later, I did get, I did read it. And um, that was a book that did deserve all the attention. Have you read her first book, The Mothers? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I love the cover. I do think a cover, you, I think you do judge a book by its cover. I definitely do. I'm always talking about that on my show. I think that's a silliest expression to say, don't judge a book by a cover, because of course everyone does. But yes, the cover of The Mothers is beautiful. Sorry to interject there. Oh, no. I, you know, and I think I do love that it, that cover kind of that thread 
carries on to The Vanishing Half. But to answer your question, no, I haven't read it. Should I? Is it good? I love it. I read it when it first came out and I just thought it was so good. And then I was so eager to read The Vanishing Half. I did read it early, but I thought it was fabulous as well. But I think I really like The Mothers even better. Oh, that's, I'm literally writing this down as we <laughs> You'll have to report back and see what you think. Yes. Well, I've, you know, and kind of like you were saying about how when I recommended The Foundling and you've heard it twice one week, that perhaps it's time, it's a sign you pick it up. Well, I have feel like I've been seeing the cover of The Mothers Everywhere in the past few weeks. And then you mentioned it. So now I feel like this is my sign that I need to pick up The Mothers. Well, and there's this Greek chorus of mothers. This spoils nothing. There's this Greek chorus of mothers who are kind of talking throughout the book. And obviously that is not a new strategy, but you don't, you didn't see it a lot when she did it. And now I still love it. I think it's a great uh, narrative device, but I feel like I'm seeing it in more books lately. But hers is the first one I can remember of kind of modern books published in the last 10 years that did that. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And I, I love that. I will say that I am, I have on my to be TBR pile is I just got it yesterday, The It Girl by Ruth Ware. I have loved all of her books. And while I have not started it yet, I have just been a huge fan of her writing for years. I really liked it. I loved the Oxford setting. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And my favorite of hers is The Death of Mrs. Westaway, but I really liked The It Girl and I really liked One by One. I loved One by One and I felt like that was very different than her previous works. And I appreciate that she tries different different things. And then a book that I just pre-ordered today was The Retreat by Sarah Pierce. I just interviewed her recently. Oh my gosh, you did? Yeah, she's delightful because I had spoken with her when the sanatorium came out and I loved the atmosphere of that book and just, you know, everything, the setting, everything about it. Oh, I'll have to go listen to that episode. I am a big fan of hers and eagerly awaiting the retreat to show up on my doorstep next week. (laughs) Yay. Well, Tess, thank you so much for joining me today on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. It was absolutely delightful to speak with you. Oh, Cindy, thank you so much. I could talk about books and book stuff all day. So this was a treat for me and I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'm so glad you took the time to come on. Great. Thank you. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate your taking the time to listen to my podcast. I want to quickly share about this wonderful company I am now partnering with. I am always looking for entities that promote and highlight books and recently came across book clubs, a company who provides all sorts of resources for established and new book clubs, as well as individual readers. My own personal book club recently signed up on book clubs, and the group has been impressed with all of the great tools the site and app provide. The book club's website is linked in my show notes, and I hope you will check them out soon. Also, if you like my show, I would be so grateful if you would tell everyone you know about it and rate it on whichever platform you listen on. It truly makes a huge difference and really helps the show grow. I hope you will check out some other Thoughts from a Page episodes and have a great day.
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.